Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. So glad to be together as a body of Christ. Amen? Now look around the room. Look at these other beautiful faces. This is the body of Christ. This is the family of God. The proof that you love God is that you love these. Which ones? The least? Hello? <laughs> uh, which is the least? <laughs> I think we all qualify. You know, this song, there's a complexity in the truth here because there's two sides to this, right? It's like the Bible says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And yet it says he'll leave the 99 and, and go after the one. So which applies to us today? Well, it depends where you are. Depends where you are in your maturity. Depends what God is trying to work into you. Are you genuinely lost or are you lazy? You know, if you're genuinely lost, he'll go for you. If you're being lazy, he's going to call you to rise up. And so, you know, three quarters of us here are ones that he's saying, no, you come after me. You seek me. You run after me. You run hard into my presence. You are making a way. You are the tip of the spear for others who are actually lost. You are the ones that make a way for others. So there's both of us in this room. There's those that God is running over hills and running to and finding in those dark places. And there's those who say, no, you run to me. You find me. And we can't confuse who we are today, but we know who we are. But if you're here visiting with us today, I encourage you to press in. I encourage you to, to enjoy the atmosphere. I say lift up your heart. Worship God with all your strength, all your mind, all your soul. Love God today. And he will love you back. You will be touched by his spirit. So, Father, we say in Jesus' name, more of your presence. More of your presence. I'm going to share in a few minutes, but I'm saying right now, come out of any fog. I release you to come out of any fog, come out of any distraction, come out of any uh, sleepiness, any spiritual fatigue. Come out. Come out. Come out in Jesus' name. Let the shackles and the chains... And the bonds be broken off your mind, off your emotions, off your heart. Let lethargy be broken in Jesus' name. Who? Draw into the presence of God today. He's got something for you. This week I spoke on this issue because, and I believe we need to break through a mindset that Paul was trying to get the Corinthians to understand. He said, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You know what that means? That means the life of God flowing through you isn't something that comes from nether regions of space and visits you occasionally and you're a victim of when it comes and when it doesn't come. It means that your spirit, that you have authority to release your spirit. That when you can, you can release your spirit 
You can turn the tap on and the tap off. Now, you don't, have, you don't decide the water pressure. The city does. But you turn that tap off every time you want to drink. This is the truth of the sons and daughters of the king. That it, within you is a reservoir of water available to release. You don't have to wait for a special anointed moment. You are that moment. You actually have authority over that moment. You can release any time you want to. But we get bogged down by, uh, by pits of self-pity, by emotional uh, distress, by, by frustration, by disillusionment, by confusion. And, uh, and that tries to keep us from believing that we can release. But it's in your power. It's in your power to release the li- rivers of living water. So, Father, bring us into the revelation of what it means to be sons, what it means to be daughters, that, Lord, we are one spirit with you. We are one spirit with you. We are one spirit. Do you realize we are one spirit with God? Amen. All right. I just want to share something because we need to call something out. You know, we are actually in a battle and so this event that took place in North Battleford this week is, it was out of a prophetic word, out of a prophetic dream. It is a contending uh, against and for something. We are contending for the destiny of our nation, and we are contending against a spirit that is rising up in this generation. And last night, I, uh, I happened to turn on the, the hockey game, and uh, it was, um, what's his name? Uh, Don Cherry, celebrating all of these famous hockey players who, you know, in the middle of their hockey careers, uh, were interrupted and went and served in the military. I mean, it was amazing how many of them. There, there are moments when nothing else is important. And I believe we are in such a moment when nothing else is important. And there's a, way, a war being waged that is equally as threatening as hit the rise of Nazism in Hitler, Germany. And it's a rise of a spirit of death in our nation. It's not coming from outside. It is in our nation. And the war is partially over the identity of Canadians. And, you know, uh, uh, Cindy Jacobs gave a prophetic word, and uh, maybe we could play that in a minute. She gave a prophetic word that God is changing Canada from a peace-keeping nation to a peace-making nation. That there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacemaking requires action. It requires proactive action. There's something rising up in our land, in the United States, that's lawless, that is, that is a spirit of anarchy, that hates the police, it hates the army, and I mean, it, it's wicked. It is this divide that's coming such to the point that there are some political parties in Canada that refuse to wear poppies because it's celebrating violence. I mean, it, that is absolutely crazy. And now, I don't line up specifically behind, as a Christian, behind any particular party. However, there are some parties that represent me more than others. And there is one party that is championing this idea that righteousness and a love of peace means we never go into conflict. Well, that's like saying, you know, that when a robber is breaking into your house, that it would be wrong for the police to come and use any kind of force to dissuade him from doing so. 
Have you ever heard of anything so ridiculous? There is something that we need to rise up against. This, you, need to get, you need to get angry. You need to get mad because there's something stealing away. I mean, it's creeping into the generations. It's creeping into the mindset of what it means. Well, you know, we're just supposed to love your neighbor. Well, you're going to love your neighbor who's being raped? You know, loving your neighbor is, what, sitting back and doing nothing? Right? Which one of you, if your children were being assaulted would not do whatever it took to stand between them. And what would you do? You know, I mean, there's this blurred ideology that what it means to be Christian is you just roll over and die. I tell you, the most courageous Christians went to war, went to battle. And when the soldiers came to John the Baptist and said, you know, what are we supposed to do? He didn't say, how dare you be in the army? He said, he said be content with your wages and, and don't be unjust. That's what he said. There's something that is shifting. You know, the scripture says very clearly, righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Uh, I just want to read this scripture because, you know, sometimes we have this illusion that, you know, Christians need to be nicey-nice all the time. And uh, that's not how I saw Jesus deal with hypocrisy. Uh, That's not how I saw the Holy Spirit deal with hypocrisy in Acts chapter uh, 6 or wherever it was there. Uh, I see a certain vigilance and violence and aggression on the side of God, and I see it in the tone of the Apostle Paul. He says this, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now even tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm reading that simply to say this, that there are people that are literally enemies of the cross of Christ. And that there's a response we need to have to them, a capacity to step into the fray. You know, it doesn't mean we hate people. We never hate people. But there is a righteous indignation that says these solutions that you are proposing for our nation, this idea of equity that you have is is based on a false measure. It is based on a false statute. It is not based on real righteousness. It is a form of godliness. It will bring death and destruction. And we will oppose it. We will stand up against it. We will lay our lives down for it. And I, I pray that, you know, something has gripped me in the last several months now. But it feels like there is no more room for playing around. I mean, I'm asking God for the grace. There is a focus coming for our hearts and our minds and our energy that is the kingdom of God. You know, when God called Esther, cousin Mordecai, who came and said, listen, you're in a great place and you have favor and there's all these things are going good for you. But if this thing progresses as it is, it will overtake you as well. Don't think that just because you're in the house of the king that you're going to avoid this. And he prophesied to her. And we need to realize that this is the kind of moment that we're in, that something is going to overtake us. And there are people out there, and I saw it even this week. There's a woman uh, named Laura Lynn Thompson. She's standing against this uh, SOGI curriculum that's entered into our schools. And I mean, the, the, the vitriol that has ro- ri- arisen up against her. And then I watch Christians, you know, kind of, kind of like watch everything that's poured out of her, kind of like, yeah. You know, because some of the vitriol carries this stuff. Well, you know, it's because she's not really operating in love. Yeah, we need to be nicer about this. And it's not about nice. It is about cowardly, fearful, fear of man, preservation of self-spirit. You know, it says in Revelations, the first group of people that don't get into heaven, do you know who they are? The cowardly. 
the cowardly, the cowardly. If there was a time, you know, the, the early church, it said, it said, you bore patiently the loss of your homes and the loss of freedoms, and, and some were cast into jail. This is those kinds of days. Why? Because if we don't do it, it's coming anyway, unless we all stand. So let's, let's determine right now. I'm not going to obey that spirit. You know, if Pastor Mark sticks out his neck one of these days, and the authorities come after him, is anybody going to be standing with me, right? I mean, this is the question, because people are sticking their neck out today, and the whole church is taking a step back, and they're left there hanging. That's happening today. And uh, we need to be the people that stand behind those who are going to risk it all for the kingdom. You know, not just celebrate them when there's a victory. and Say, yeah, oh, yeah, we were part of that. All right, so I want to make something very, very clear. So... There's two mindsets we have. We have a Christian-y mindset where we hear a word from the Lord and we go, yay, that's going to happen. I even felt it in myself. When Cindy's like, there's going to be a conservative sweep, the uh, complacent Christian-y side of me went, oh, thank God. Okay? That is nothing. Okay? And she even said, this is contingent. Okay, like we forget that part. Oh, that's hopeful. That's so, and I'm saying this to everyone in this house, but to anyone watching, if you're watching on Facebook Live and you're a Christian and you want to see change, you are the conservative sweep. And, and that's it. There's no gray area in there. And you go, as a Christian, I mean, how do I, how do, I do that? I mean, where is there a platform that I could even poke up and, and yeah, you vote, Stop being complacent. And so I, I just want to speak that to that thing that says, okay, the word's been released. We're good. We're not good. The church, the ecclesia, the gathering of believers, not just this church, but the body is us. And there's no magical faraway thing that's going to make the word of God pass. You are the magical faraway thing that makes the word of God pass. And I want to release that here. And wherever there's something that says, no, no, it's elsewhere, it's not. It's here. And I, that's good enough. There's a verse that's been plaguing me, a concept that's been plaguing me for um, a while now. And uh, it's about Hezekiah. He was a king. And uh, there was a sickness sent unto him that he was going to die. But uh, in crying out to the Lord, the Lord gave him 15 more years to rule. And uh, a prophecy came to him later in his life. And uh, it was about the nation of Israel being carried off into captivity. And it even said that some of your own sons will be taken into exile. This was Hezekiah's response. This message you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking at least there will be peace and security in my time. And I recognize that I have not had a heart to care for the generations that come after me until I had grandsons. Let me tell you, that changed my heart. Do I want what's coming in this country? You know, we sing, God, keep our land glorious and free. And when I sing that, I sing that with my full heart because we have already lost freedom in this land. The freedom of speech to say, to speak of Jesus in, in public assemblies. And um, freedom can be stripped away from us so quickly. And so I want to rise up. <laughs> but I want to do so in the spirit of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't want to come. I remember many, I'm sorry, Mark, but many, many years ago, Cindy Jacobs came to uh, uh, Red Deer and she talked about something that was in our country. It was a spirit of opposition. I don't want to come in the spirit of opposition. I want to come in the spirit of the Lord. Yeah, so how do you do that? You, you learn to do it right here. Yes. Uh, you learn to ignite your spirit here yes. in righteousness, and that gives you the courage to do the same thing elsewhere. Uh, and then you deal with the resentments, and you deal with the fears, and you deal with anger, you know, aside from that, so that you're not moving in that spirit. But that doesn't mean there isn't vigilance, doesn't mean there isn't aggression, doesn't mean there isn't, uh, 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 you know, unpoliteness. Jesus was very unpolite at different times. You know, one woman wanted to, you know, get, get a healing, and he called her a dog. He did, right? Called her a dog. Yeah. What makes you think you can? He was just checking to see if she really believed. And she did. So anyway, this week, can you hear me? Is this thing on? Hello? Testing, 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 testing. Okay, there. Uh, I, I want a couple of people who are in North Battleford this week to maybe come and share. So in the past, um, you know, we've had the gatherings in Canada, which were a national initiative to, to, to catalyze the church prophetically to to uh, to do some things to step into the realm of the spirit and some things began to unfold that were national and shifted our nation such that suddenly I mean there was a place where if you were a Christian and you announced you're a Christian as Stockwell did at one point he was ridiculed on mass I mean the the stuff that came out right across the nation it was crazy I mean it was like it, it, the 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 prejudice, the hypocrisy of that prejudice and that attack was absolutely stunning. And so uh, the, the capacity, the possibility that a Christian could be a Christian and be elected, I mean, that just, this wasn't even possible in Canada. And then when, when that thing changed, right, and Harper came in and there was, there was amazing shifts in the political capacity of the nation so that certain people could put their voice and their name forward and they would not be immediately dismissed. That is a shift. That is absolutely evidence of a shift in the spirit over a nation. Now, we had a setback, and the setback was because there was division in the nation. There was division uh, in the watchmen, in the gatherings, in the stuff that I was involved with that set it back. And I'm not going to go into how that happened or why that happened, but I'm telling you, the unity of spiritual leaders across the land will determine whether we have authority to act on behalf and shift a nation. But God has resurrected something. I called, when I, when I first went to a meeting here in Edmonton and I heard Art Lucier share, I thought the spirit that I saw in the gatherings is on Art Lucier. I, I, I thought this is, so I called David Demi and I said, David, we need to support this from, from the watchman and from, you know, because he's actually said, I've been looking for who the Lord is raising up. And I said, you need to come and bless this because, because, uh, because this, is, this is of God. Now, so we went there this week for 10 days. I didn't know the level at which this was going to unfold. It was over the top, man. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. That that the the anointing, the presence, the authority, the clarity, it was phenomenal. And so we we were really blessed to be able to be a part of that. I'm a part of the core team, which is great. 
But our worship team was able to come this week and step in, and uh, what an amazing job they did. You know, it's, it, and it's a hard thing. It's one thing to play on this stage, right, Joel? <laughs> it's one thing to play at home in your basement. It's one thing to play and practice, you know, on Wednesday nights. It's another thing on a national stage with, with you know, uh, live streaming that was going to 30, 30 plus nations uh, you know, we had over 20,000 individual viewings of, uh, of the 10 days. I mean, it, it really blossomed. And, uh, and so, uh, but it's because there's something uh, in the heart of these leaders for the nation. But I want a few people to come and maybe share a couple things about, about the atmosphere there, and then I'll, I'll, I'll follow up some other things. So, so, you know, Derek, do you want to come and say something? Now, be, be concise and quick because... Uh, if you're, if each of us are five minutes, that's gonna, you know, next thing you know, it'll be noon. Okay. <laughs> Were you even there? No, I was. I was there. I was there. I'm not sure I'm here. I know, I know for sure I was there. But. Um. I think the the. First, a little bit of background. There was a major outpouring in, uh, if I sit down, I stop pacing and everybody will be happy. There was a major outpouring in North Battleford in 1948 that eventually was named the latter, I just can't stand sitting down, <laughs> was eventually named the Latter Rain Movement. And so that's, that was uh, 70 years ago. So that's why we met in North Battleford. Uh, that's where the, the, the momentum was twofold, to see God again release that type of a revival in Canada, and secondly, to push, to press in and push together to battle for Canada. And so those two sides of the heart of, Can of, of the Christians of Canada came together in this event that we had. Um, I think the easiest thing I can say is that, and hopefully the quickest, is that 12 hours or so before I went, the Lord said to me, you are going to North Battleford to be poured out. And we start out our Christian journey asking God to pour out on us. God pour, and that never stops. We don't stop at some point, but we start out saying, God, pour out on me, pour out on me, pour out on me. But somewhere in your Christian journey, there's a shift. And you say, God, let me pour out now. Let me pour out. Let me pour out. Let me pour out. But when the Lord said to me, I'm sending you to be, to be poured out. Not to pour out, but to be poured out. Like David poured out that water that his friends risked their life for. I want to be one of those friends that goes behind enemy lines and risks their lives and brings that. But I realized the Lord was saying to me, you are the water that is poured out. You are the, you are the perfume when the alabaster... I want to be Mary of Bethany that breaks the alabaster thing and pours something out beautiful on the feet of Jesus. And suddenly I realized the Lord's transitioning me from being Mary of Bethany to being the spikenard perfume. And that's a radical shift because the water that David poured out had no control over 
when that was done and how it was done or to what purpose it was done. The same with the perfume. In fact, when the perfume was poured on in Jesus, one of the disciples actually verbalized his thoughts and said, what a waste. And that, like those three friends of David standing there watching the water soak into the rock. Like, seriously, David, we risked our lives for this. And uh, that's, what, that's what the Lord brought us to North Battleford for, to be poured out. It, had I come to pour out, I would have, you know, those things that suit me, I would have kind of stepped forward. And those things that are kind of like, uh, not really my flavor, I would have stepped back. But since I was there to be poured out, uh, it wasn't up to me. It was just up to me to stand there and be poured out. And so that was, that's, that's what I believe the Lord brought us together. And that's what the Lord is doing with us in Canada. He's, he's raising up a people to be poured out. What a hopeless waste. I mean, the second you pour yourself out, your mom's going to say, what a waste of your life. Your, your relatives are going to say, what a waste of your life. Your friends, your, even church people. I, I was down in my wine cellar one day cataloging some wines and a $35 dessert wine slipped out of the rack while I was taking a picture of it. And yeah, you don't want to know about that. I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed in that. And on its way down, it hit a $50 uh, Spanish Rioja 2001 that I'd been saving. And I stood there watching the, this wine, two, two excellent wines. Both of them prophetically had been actually given to me as gifts. And I stood there watching it just soak into the cement. That's what people are going to do when I pour out my life, when we pour out our life, when we're being poured out. They're just going to look at us and say, what a waste. But somehow this is acceptable before the Lord. And I believe that was the journey that we took in North Battleford. Amen. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sharing something into that. Somebody else have something quick to share? A little bit quicker than Derek. So no I, didn't, I didn't feel the call to go. Um, I went because some friends were going, and I thought it'd be fun. And Well, it was. I love road trips. I love hanging out with people that way. But I didn't hear the call. I didn't hear that it, this was actually the battle for Canada. And so something that God was talking to me all during the week was that about 105 years ago, men in Canada read a newspaper. And from that newspaper, they decided to volunteer, sign up, and go overseas and fight a war. And I think that today, I'm thinking that it was the spirit of God that awakened them, that opened their ears to hear and their eyes to see what the time was that they were in. And so I came into an understanding of the time that we were in when I was there. And, and something shifted in me that now is the time. This is the place. It's us and now. It's us and now. Yeah. So amidst everything, which was very powerful, we went for lunch, and I had an opportunity to hear from Jim. And he was sharing about a moment in, that happened in this church years ago before my time. And sometimes I lament about this some of the stories I hear, because it sounded so powerful. And 
Jim and Gaylene actually broke off. I had such an amazing personal time. I'm not going to go into that, but I believe that it was so connected with what God is doing. And Jim started to share about this service that they had, which was a domino service, they called it. And as he's talking, he's talking about how all these people were lining up. And before they even started to pray, all these people started falling over and were getting slain in the spirit everywhere. And as he's talking, I'm just sitting there and this flutter starts to go through my arm, something I have never felt. I feel like I've felt the Holy Spirit before in my life, but never this. I was telling Jim and Gaylene, I never experienced any of that stuff when I got saved. But this flutter started to go through my arm and it sat right here and then just settled in my guts. And I had been crying out for healing because I've had some stomach issues, but it just settled there. And it didn't go away. And then we were in uh, the Saturday night or the Friday night service and they were calling up healing. And I, every time I would put my hand like up like this, I would shake like this. And this flutter would just be sitting there and, and going. And it hasn't actually left me yet. And as Jim and Gaylene were praying on me, they were breaking off some labels and stuff. The Lord showed me a picture of a butterfly, and he said, this is the season of, a butterfly, of, of being a butterfly. And for me, the Lord spoken to me about being a bird, uh, but this is like a new way to soar. It's another way to fly. And so I take that. It's a personal word for me. And the next morning, uh, this woman from the First Nations culture who carries a lot of authority gets up on the stage, and she has this, I can't remember the word of that thing that she's wearing, she has a butterfly on the back of it, this beautiful monarch butterfly. Monarch butterfly. Yeah. And um, Art Lucier starts talking about the butterfly, and I had actually looked it up, and it was uh, representing many things, hope, uh, but resurrection. Yeah. And I believe that the Lord is resurrecting things in this season. And so even what Derek had said about this resurrection, or maybe he did, I think I heard him say that, but... Um, uh, the Lord is resurrecting not only things in this body, but things in this country. He's making things new, and it's that transformation. Uh, what were those two words? Reformation and revival. And so he is reforming things, but there is a resurrecting of, of the old becoming new. And so that just, I believe that's for our body, but also for our nation and our province. So um, <laughs> we... Uh, meant to go up the weekend, the first weekend, and um, <laughs> hold the, hold the mic. And I got really, like, I felt like, no, no, this is not for me, this is not my thing, and um, I don't know how many people know here, but my mom is Native, we are Mi'kmaq, and my dad is French, and when, <laughs> when I went up there, something happened to me, and all the confusion and the desire to hide, it broke off, and it was gone. And I believe that's significant, not just for me, but for Canada, that the confusion and the hiding, the time of hiding is gone, that we are who we are, and we're coming together, and that confusion will no longer reign over Canada that now is the time for clarity. Now is the time for coming out of the yes. cocoon. Now Thank is the time to become one on and to time. work and to do what we're meant and called to do yes. and that there will be no more hiding. Yes. Wow. Amen. Anybody else? Okay.
I'll just, if, if you get something while we're, well, I was just going to give you the mic. But yeah, no, if you have something to share, please. Well, my wife is poking me anyways. You know, the, the other thing was, again, you know, when you get a, a crowd of folks together and they actually join their faith together, and, and the level of faith that, that existed in the room, the, 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 you know, the, the willingness to push in, the willingness to be together, uh, and, and the feel of family. Um, you know, our worship team came in for, for Thursday night and Friday morning and just like immediately clicked with the other folks who were, who were there. Like there was zero comparison, zero competition. There was like, oh, great, you know, some, some more folks. And, and I know Ben and Jenna just may have found lifelong friends here, you know. Uh, you, guys, you guys all get to meet uh, Chris and Nikki Mathis here on our Open the Gates conference. Wonderful folks pastoring the Summit Church uh, in Edmonton. But, I mean, just the level to which that level of faith creates family, creates, uh, you know, the, the willingness to believe, frankly, the willingness to believe that we as a church actually do get to establish what's going to happen in the natural government. Okay? So the heavenly government gets to establish, and the natural government will follow. And I believe it. Mm, amen. I have my own mic. All right. Father, thank you for... The opportunity you are offering us to step into your plan. And God, we, we so often verbalize the desire to be used by you, except, Lord, we have our own idea of what that looks like, and we step past the thing that you are calling us to do. And so, Lord, we ask today, God, would you illuminate and awaken us to the thing yes. you are calling us to do? God, whatever level it is on, God, that we would be prepared to stand on guard for you. Yes. Lord, we don't, uh, and we sometimes have visions of being that Rambo figure that comes in and is the key uh, hero who turns the tide. But Father, uh, I pray in Jesus' name that that, that illusion, that fantasy, yes. God, would fade from our lives and we would realize that, Lord, battles are won by the thousands and the tens of thousands yes, anonymous yes, yes. people who step into the fray, who decide that this far and no further. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that that personal idolatry that we look for to make ourselves feel like we are significant and important, Lord, would fade that we would know within our hearts that you said, stand here, and that, Lord, that that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who said, stand here. And what could be more important? Oh, God, in Jesus' name, there's a call going out to stand in our places. And we need to lay down all of the, the fantasy. Oh, my goodness, we are a culture of fantasy that steals from us the importance of the mundane. I mean, you know, let me tell you, uh, man, I, 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 I don't want to go down to that, that row, but listen, there, there are things being offered to us right now that are so significant, so, 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 so very significant, and uh, I'm going to try and go through a couple of things, but let me first let you know, and, and if you're watching online, I know there's some people going to be watching online, I did a Facebook deal on the way back from from North Battleford, kind of, because I thought, what are the takeaways of this? Because there is an element, an element where the experience of these 10 days does something in us, 
but uh, we lose it. We lose it very quickly, and that is a reality of every, every high place in the Spirit. I don't know, you may be in a low place today, and you may have had a high place yesterday, or a month ago, or a year ago, and you're waiting for that high moment to come back. I'm telling you what God is actually training you to do is how to have a high moment on purpose. Yes. To have one and to be able to hold on to it. There are, there are actual literal keys as to how to do that. So I, was, I didn't explain all of the keys, but I touched on some of the elementary things to do that. So please go have a look at it because I feel like for us especially, we need, to, we need, to, we need a body of people who can step into that. I think that's going to be the fulfillment of that prophetic word we've talked about again and again and again that Bob Jones gave us, that, that it's a people standing in their place. And anyway, so, so, so many things along that line... Uh, that God has done. The second thing I wanted to say about practically about coming forward, I was just looking. There's a real excitement about our event coming up. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people came to me and said, we're coming. And, uh, and then I looked at our Facebook page, Spruce Grove, and there was like a handful of people who said they were interested in coming from our church. And I'm thinking, we need to show up. We need to be there. And we need to say we're going to be there. And let me tell you, you need to show up and show up early or you might not get a seat in this room. Okay, we're actually going to have overflow in the other room and we might find ourselves as members of this congregation sitting in the fellowship hall and some of you, if that happens, might be offended at me. But I'm, so I'm telling you right now, come early and get a seat. Okay, I don't know what the response is, but show up. I mean, show up. It's funny, Faitine is, you know, if you don't know who Faitine is, she's, a, she's a, a person who, she used to come to church as I and uh, to our prayer meetings when she just was a young Christian or freshly saved in Vancouver. Now the Lord has given her a national profile. She really is a national voice. And her name actually sounds like F-18, right? Faitine, F-18, I love that. But um, she was, uh, she was, she said this thing, the nation goes to those who show up. The nation goes to those who show up. And so there are things that are being given to us by God. Uh, you know, when, 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 when Jesus was offering the kingdom, it wasn't the people who were notable, the people who were famous, the people who were the ruling class that responded. It was the ignoble. It was the, the, you know, the, 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 the publicans. It was the sinners. It was the prostitutes. It was, you know, because uh, the others were distracted by seeming significance and so overlooked actual significance. And so God is trying to give us a heart to embrace actual significance and leave behind seeming significance. And that takes a dying, a laying down your life. So I pray that God give us the grace to step into this thing because this is uh, a new day. Now, um, I'm going to read something from... I'm going to read a scripture. Well, I'll just tell you the scripture. No, actually, it's here. I'll read it to you. Romans 8, 14. Maybe you know it. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. If there's one thing that God is trying to establish in the earth, it is a people that are led by the Spirit of God. And, uh, and that is the journey that you are on. How much of your day can be led by the Spirit of God? Now, what does that mean? Does that mean, well, I'm going to sit here until I am led to do something. No, it doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way. Well, how does it work? I can't tell you. I can give you keys. I can say, it's like this, it's like that, but I can't say it is this or it is that. Okay, because there, there's an element where we are coming into sonship. In fact, most of what Derek said, he was actually, he was actually defining the, the, one, of the, one of the principal factors or, or characteristics of a son when you go from being one who is always looking to be poured out on to a one that is pouring out. And, you know, for years and years and years, the contention in this house has been around those who are accustomed to be being poured out upon, being called to pour out and rejecting that. Because it's far easier to have your mom cut your toast and, you know, cut the tri- trim, the, trim the edges for you and sit back. And the day when your mom starts to say, no, you cut it, it's like, I don't like toast anymore. I'll have cereal. <laughs> right? Because it's hard. It's way easier when mom, mom, but you do it better. And it takes me forever. Right? Yeah, but this is the price of going from this kind of person to this kind of person. That is the price. Sonship, there's a price. There is a dying in the middle where you get to the place where church is not about you receiving, but church is about you pouring your spirit out. You know, that, and the price is you actually, you're actually coming into that. that when we, if we keep staying on this side, you know, well, I want you to do it for me. I want you to pray the prayer. I want your authority, your faith to bring me into the victory. No, God is saying, no, step in, step in. And some, some of us are in that place. Well, I, I, I keep wanting it to happen magically. I, I, the proof to me that it's really God is I'm not involved. That is not the proof. Do you know what it means to be one spirit with God? One spirit? That means you are one spirit with him. That means where your spirit goes, his spirit goes. How audacious. Who do you think you are, son of God? Right? I remember William Booth. You know who William Booth is? That's the the Salvation Army guy. Those guys were radical. They weren't just, you know... Uh, you know, standing on the corner with Santa Claus outfits, you know, okay, give us a dime. They, they were an army. They, when they marched into a city for revival meetings, they were pelted with, with rotten vegetables and fruit and, and screamed at and cursed because, I mean, they brought a manifestation of the kingdom of God. You know what William Booth used to say? He said, I'm not waiting for revival. I am a revival. Yes! Yeah. It's like, what? Well, how do you get from here to there? By cutting your toast. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. By, by God saying, okay, I, I, I pour it out on you when you were discouraged. I pour it out on you when you were when you're hurting. I pour it out on you and I brought that ministry to encourage you here and speak into you there and lift you up there. But man, will you stand up and walk? Yeah. Well, you don't love me anymore? How many times do I have to do this before you start walking in what you already have? You have it. You have it. And I'm just looking back there. I see Della and Rick, and I love those guys, and they're amazing. And I don't know the whole story, but I just remember the testimony they gave 
when, when, when the Lord had called Rick to, uh, I can't remember whether it was the prison or the old folks' home, but he, God called him to just go and do this thing. And you know what? It's so, it's so you know, but, but nobody's coming with me. You know, how come no, you know, and God, is, God sort of rebuked him and took him through this thing. Well, it's not about others coming with you. It's about you doing it. No, but I want to be validated by a whole horde of people joining me. I want to be validated by the leadership coming and, you know, affirming and doing the rest. You know what? You have the Spirit of God, and where every place on which your foot shall tread, he said, I'm going to give it to you. Now, you can't pretend to have that faith if you're not there yet, but the journey is to go from being the one that's always the victim, always needing to be propped up by others, to the ones that you're doing, you're just doing it. You're just doing it. And, you know, how I got to where I am is I discovered that by grace as a young Christian. I realized that, wow, I could be discouraged and disheartened. I got no money. I got no prospects. I got no wife, no family. I got no reputation. I've got nothing. And, you know, bills are coming. I'm, at, I'm in another country. I can't work. And, I'm, you know, all this stuff. And I realized... None of that mattered, that I could go into the prayer room and start praying in tongues and this overwhelming sense that, no, the world will unfold before you. Just keep walking. The sense that victory is impending, that all the promises are yea and amen. Suddenly that discouragement, that weight, that heaviness would just lift off of me. I thought, I thought wow, this is great. I need to learn how to play guitar. Because I want to be able to create this everywhere. Because I'd go to chapels and this presence would come down. It's like, whoa. And that, that's great. But then I began to realize, I could do that. Yes. I could do that. How do, you be, how do you become an effective kingdom of God manifester? Realizing you can do that. All the guys that I know that are actually doing something started out you know, being, receiving and realized it was in them. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> so I, I, I want to read. Where's my Aha. Okay, I'm going to read. It's a little bit longer, but, and I'll tell you what it is here. It is a part of, of uh, the final quest uh, from Rick Joyner, but it defines this battle that they're going into and what he sees is a people who don't understand the battle, who don't understand what it is that they're going into. And he doesn't tell, in, in the other book, there's a chapter where he actually faces a people who are, who are sort of in this um, sort of catatonic state where they're just uh, you know, sort of unaware, half aware of the, the spiritual world around them and how that is. But I want you to read this because... This is so very much definitive of the spiritual world that we're facing right now and, and where we're going. So it's just at the beginning of this colossal end-time battle. And he says, Then I turned and I saw the army of the Lord standing behind me. There were thousands of soldiers, but they were still greatly outnumbered. I was shocked and disheartened, for it seemed that there were actually many more Christians being used by the evil one than there were in the army of the Lord. Now, if you want to know what that means, you have to read the book. But he said, I knew that the battle was about to begin. Uh, I knew that the, that the battle about to begin was going to be viewed as the great Christian civil war because very few would understand the dark powers that were behind the impending conflict. 
As I looked more closely at the army of the Lord, the situation seemed even more discouraging. Only a small number were fully dressed in their armor. Many only had one or two pieces on the, of their armor on. Some did not have any at all. A large number were already wounded. Most of those who had their armor still had very small shields, which I knew would not protect them from the onslaught that was coming. Very few of those who were fully armed were adequately trained to use their weapons. I mean, you could preach on every line. You know, as a pastor, as, a, as somebody who has been trained in some of these things, I remember when God, you know, started challenging me on all these issues. To my further surprise, the great majority of these soldiers were women and children. Woo! Go women! Come on, women, say, yay us. All right. Behind this army was a trailing mob, (laughs) which seemed to be very different in nature from the prisoners who followed the evil horde. Those in the mob seemed seemed to be overly happy, (laughs) as if intoxicated. They were playing games and singing folk songs, feasting and roaming about from one little camp to the next. This reminded me of Woodstock. Oh gosh, we could talk about them. I ran toward the arm of the Lord to escape the onslaught I knew was coming uh, at me from the evil horde. In every way it seemed, we were in for mostly a one-sided slaughter. I was especially concerned for the mob that was trailing the Lord's army. So I tried to raise my voice above the clamor to warn them of the battle. I'm sorry, I, I had a message jump up there distracting me. Uh, so I tried to raise my voice above the clamor to warn them that a battle was about to begin. Now, here, listen to this. Only a few could even hear me, and those who heard me gave me the peace sign. Yeah, they said, we don't believe in war. When those in the mob assured me that the Lord would not let anything bad happen to them, I tried to explain that he had given us armor because we needed it for what was about to take place. To this they retorted that they had come to a place of peace and joy where nothing like that could happen. I began earnestly, praying earnestly for the Lord to increase the shields of those with the armor and to help protect those who are not ready for battle. Okay, I'm not going to read anymore. But uh, it gets better, right? There's an awakening. Now, what, what I was thinking this morning is I want to try and tie this in because uh, you and your spiritual journey are, are on a trajectory of increasing responsibility, increasing pouring out, increasing awareness, uh, and increasing authority. That is all happening. It's happening uh, as much as you want it to happen. But, uh, and you know, it, it, the challenges are what they are, right? And you can speed it up, and you can, you can, uh, you can slow it down by ignoring it. But, uh, so there's an element of participation in your journey in terms of how fast this is going to go. But like me, you're going to realize at different junctures in your life, when you come through something and you realize, oh, it didn't have to take that long. I can't tell you how many times in my life where suddenly I come out of some kind of self-pity or, or something and I realized I had come out of it. 
And I look back and I think, oh, thank you, God, for your patience, A. But, you know, is there anything you could have done to make this process, like, could this have happened a year ago? Could this have happened a year and a half ago? He said, it doesn't matter because this is what it is. So he, no, but what he was saying at the same time, yes, but don't dwell on that because it is what it is. All you can dwell on is this. How long is it going to take you for the next shift? That's the only thing you need to worry about. So if you start lamenting the past and getting into depression or discouragement or heartless, you know, whatever it is, you'll ignore what's happening right now. Because the issue is learn from, realize that it could have happened earlier and project that to your future. That, okay, what am I moving into now that doesn't have to take the next 10 years of my life? Right? That's the, that's the takeaway. Not, not turning around and, oh, I'm a worm. I was so disobedient. I was so... Yeah, you were. But we all were. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we are in this boat, believe me. I, I did a repentance at, the, at the, 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 the stand on guard when we were doing a thing with the generation. I was encouraging the, the younger generation. And if my wife's here, I'll have you know that I wept on, on, to, on the live feed. He has it on video. We have proof. I, I was overwhelmed, actually. I, I was grieved at how long it took me to start to acknowledge fathers in my life. And that, this is a whole message, but, I, but I, I remember thinking, because I, had, I was surrounded by spiritual fathers, but the problem was I couldn't see them because I had created an idea of what I wanted out of what I thought I needed. Oh? Yeah. All right? And so the guys that were there that could have helped me in key areas, I didn't have any respect for them because they weren't this branded hero that I was looking for as a father. And, you know, so I shared, let me just briefly share this. So I I was sharing about Elisha and Elijah, and Elisha was wanting the anointing of Elijah, the spiritual father of the nation, right, the prophet. He was the prophet, but he only saw him as a prophet. And this is what Elijah says to him. He says, listen, he says, if you see me before I go or when I go, you'll get the double portion you want. You'll get twice my anointing. Elisha's like, all right. I'm there. So Elisha's like, I'm not taking my eyes off you. (laughs) I can't take my eyes off of you. Right? And so he's watching him. He's watching him. Okay. And and Elijah says, why don't you go stand over there? He said, no way, man. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm right there. I'm right there. Because I want to be there when the moment happens. Right? And this is what Elisha was doing. But that's not what Elijah meant. And this is... Elijah meant, if you see my identity, I am a father, but I'm not a huggy bear. Elijah was not a, come, bring it in. (laughs) I know people hurt you, poor dear. Right? This was not Elijah. You know, sometimes the, the fathers we want are actually mothers. You know, right? And, and, so, and so, again, we interpret what a father is by what we think we want and what we think we need. And the, the, then the, 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 the individual, the father that's right there, we don't want. 
because he's defective this way. Well, he doesn't, his hugs are kind of this. And, and well, he doesn't wake me up in the morning like mom does. Mom comes in with toast and, and milk, and dad just flicks the light on, hey! <laughs> right? I want a dad who comes in and acts like a mom. I mean, these, I mean, you could go down. There's all kinds of defining things of what we think we want, therefore what we accept in a spiritual leader. And what God is saying to Elisha, really through Elijah, he says, he says, this is a spiritual father, not just a prophet. And when you see that, when you see him, you're going to get what he has. And so what, is, what happens when Elijah's taken away? Oh, yeah, he sees the, the whirlwind, he sees the chariots and everything, but he says, my father, my father. And then he got the double anointing, okay? Because it's the son, get this, it's the son that gets the double anointing and it gets the inheritance. The inheritance of the eldest child was double what everybody else got. And what Elisha was asking for was the inheritance of the eldest. He knew what he was saying when he said, I want the double portion. He was actually asking for what belonged to the eldest son. And what Elijah was saying to him, you're not a son yet. You wash my hands. You serve me because I'm a prophet. You revere me. You respect me. But you don't really know yet who I am. When you see me, if you see me, you'll get what I have. So I, I got up because my, my journey is, is punctuated with these moments where I was critical of leaders constantly because of what they were not, and what they were not was only important because of what I thought I needed. Do you, you see this, yeah. the selfish, centric, self-centric thing there? Yeah. And so God is saying... I gave you these amazing gifts scattered across the body of Christ of fathers who are more mature than you in love and all. And you, the only, you know, the, the guy that you want is, is defined only according to this very narrow spectrum of things that you already think you have. Anyway, it's, it's, it's awful, really. If I go into it, you'll all be crying. So why did I, why am I saying that? There's an awakening. There's an awakening coming. I was awakened to something somewhere in the journey. And it's not like God is, you know, when I, when I think about it, it's not like God is mad. When you're raising your kids and you're, you, you know, I mean, you might have moments when you're mad and we're less magnanimous than God is, you know, where you say, when are you going to start taking care of your room, you know? When are you going to start cleaning up your room? So, and I don't have to tell you. You know, sometimes his dads are like, come on. But you don't expect a two-year-old to come into that, right? right. Are you mad at a two-year-old because they're not cleaning their room? No. You, know, you, you, keep, you messed up your diaper again. You know, we don't do that because we just know they're incapable of that transition. So when, when you are not yet there, you're, you're not awakened to certain realities. Oh, hey, that stinks and feels yucky. I don't want to do that anymore. There's a come a moment when you don't want to do that anymore. It's part of the awakening. Okay? Spiritually, you come into moments like that along the way. You come into moments when you just, just discover things. I remember in sports when, when something happened... And I, I'm, I'm, it's crazy because I always knew the language, you know. I would go to hockey practices. I'd go to soccer practice. We did every sport. But one day, one day, 
And I used to say that practice makes perfect and all that. But one day, it just kind of clicked. Oh, if I do that thing over and over, I, I, I get better at it. Like, it just, so that means my betterness at this, I was waiting for it to happen, but I could actually hasten the day. I could hasten the day by giving my, and the more I understood that I could practice and perfect this, the more I poured myself into practice. And, and that's, that's how I got good at sports. I realized that it's not accidental that this, there's, there's a cause and there's an effect. That awakening, when I realized, oh, that has to do with muscles. And I remember I was on the bus, I was in grade 10, and I saw this guy that I knew, and I thought, look at his shoulders. Like, I said, what, what do you, what, look at your shoulders, they're, they're huge. He said, yeah, well, I've been going to the gym. And I've been, you know, he talks about doing these pulleys, and I've just been doing pulleys for like an hour in the gym. And, you know, of course, he's, he was a little malformed. <laughs> and I thought, I was thinking about that for a week after. I thought, oh, this is that. Like, this is, if I do this, it's going to change what I look like. And you think, well, it took you to grade 10 to realize that? I knew that in grade 6, you know. Okay, I'm a little bit of a slow learner. All these things to do with natural maturity apply to spiritual maturity. All the things you thought were accidental, incidental, a convergence of forces beyond your reach, you know, impossible to anticipate. A system, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Sonship is being delivered from the mysterious because you've come into the mind of God. And it's only mysterious because you're not sharing fully in his mindset. But what he's offering you by, by, by opportunities to come together under the anointing to, to, you know, when we tell you, read the word, read the word, read the word, it's not because of Christian duty so that you can ward off all the condemnation and everything. It's because that's what gives you spiritual muscles. That's what changes your mindset. You know, oh yeah, oh, I haven't even read the word today. I feel so guilty. <laughs> you can do it because of guilt, but eventually you just start doing it because this equals this. This equals this. So Rick Joyner in the book, he talks about a moment where, and I think Derek said in the next book, where he's coming up with these people who are like captive and, and they, they, they come, he comes into this camp or something, and he, he starts blowing a trumpet or shouting, hey, you are free. And they're, but they're all kind of, and this is the nature, of, they're catatonic spiritually. They're like, and they hear this sound, and they start pulling out an arrow. And that's what he said. He says, so they're all start, you know, they look at me like, uh, you know, deer in the headlights, and they start pulling out arrows, and they start pulling it back, and they start shooting at me. And then, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the church. That, that you know, semi-catatonic, zombie-like thing, that is us. We just don't know how clear the day can be until you come into a clearer day and you realize, 
Wow. Like what, like what Derek was talking about earlier, I remember when I realized that I determined how good a prayer meeting could be. I used to go to prayer meetings, and I, I, well, it was pretty good. Could have been better, you know, but hey, come back, see how you're doing next week. <laughs> right? You know, kind of coming and judging, you know. We need to have a prayer meeting that's really, you know, and so you go to prayer meeting as a judge, as a, as a, as a you know, I'll taste and see if what you have meets my, my you know, my approbation. I'll, I'll decide whether I approve of you or not. And the Lord began to say, no, what makes a prayer meeting is how many rivers are flowing into it. That's right. And your river is subject to you, and you come and instead of, you know, releasing your river, you come and analyze. Because you don't know how to release your lit river, and the only time you release your river, Mark, is when others are initiating and opening something up, and then they drag you in. So when are you going to start participating and stop waiting? The other day, Dean Briggson was saying, you know, he said, I got this friend who's... Uh, been seeking the Holy Spirit for 30 years. And he said, and again, if that's you, if you're in this boat, no condemnation, because there's a journey where you come into things. But we, we're waiting for these convergence moments as though they're accidental. But you realize later when you, be, when you come into sonship that they're not accidental. They're the effect of awakening and then, oh, I can do this anytime I want. I can pray in tongues anytime I want. I don't need to be led to pray in tongues. Why? Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So I, I shared this story, and I'll back up here a second. I was golfing with a bunch of guys a few years ago, and, and apparently Murray was there, he told me. <laughs> and I go up to tee off, and, and so I thought, you know, I just, I just pray in tongues. So I start praying in tongues. And I don't know if the guy was offended, you know, because it wasn't a holy moment. But somebody said, oh, look at that. He's, he's in praying in tongues when we're golfing. <laughs> you know, because I don't need uh, a prelude. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Living water. Well, how do you know it's God then? I'm, my spirit is one spirit with God. And the apostle Paul said, I have authority over my spirit. So, You know. So anyway, a couple of years later, we're golfing. Some of the same guys are there. And one of the other guys that said, hey, look at that, he got up to, to tee off, and he starts praying in tongues. And he said, oh, remember when he was the only one who would do that? Well, what happened? You realize that you could turn it on and you could turn it off. What Paul, that's what Paul was saying in Corinthians. The spirit of the subject. So you, there's, you don't have to give it. And you don't have to hold it back. And you don't have to wait. That it's in your power. Yes. So, um, why did I tell that story? There was a reason. There was a really good reason. Dean Briggs. Oh, yeah, Dean Briggs. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so Dean standing up and said, my, this is my friend of mine. He's been waiting 30 years. He's a great guy. I love him. Nothing against him. But he keeps saying, he keeps waiting. And I said, well, just... Pray already. Just do it. Now, if, if you're on the other side of the equation, that doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't make sense. But if you're on this side of the equation, you said, it makes perfect sense. Because you realize that it's not, divine moments are not created by a distant will of God that we are waiting for, but there is emerging that our spirit is one with his spirit, and that we are the body of Christ, and that I am led by the spirit of God, and that, that uh, you know, there's moments when we're not, which, which is part of the discipleship journey, and God is decreasing those moments, but increasingly you realize you are one spirit with God, one spirit with God, and so you're not waiting to get a warm-up, you just step into it. Imagine that. That's, that's your destiny. So I'm at the place right now in my life, I was watching a guy this week, and he might be here next Sunday, so get ready. Uh, he said he wants to come. When he heard about our conference, he said, oh, I should fly in for that. I said, yeah, go ahead. I said, if you come in Saturday night, I'll let you preach Sunday morning. Anyway, this guy, he is touching signs and wonders the same way I'm touching tongues. To me, it's like I'm looking for the convergence between heaven and earth for this stuff to materialize. He just does it. So this is the nature of, of, of being in a line towards maturing and touching things, that we're actually growing in the grace that we're able to access. Now, I know there's some questions what, you know, that people have theological about that. Let's talk about it some other time. But just, just focus on this. There's something of an inheritance that the sons have that they know is theirs. And you come to a place that things were, that were accidental, that things that were the, the result of a convergence of, of perfect elements are suddenly actually enacted at your will. And when you, when you, tri- when, when you come over the top of that, you suddenly realize that, oh, wow, I could have this. I don't have to wait anymore. I remember years ago, this vision that Paul Cain used to give about a revival in stadiums all across the world. They call it the nameless, faceless generation because, because what was happening is tens of thousands of believers were coming into sonship. That's the reality. You know, not just a handful of key evangelists around the world, but t- tens of thousands were coming into a fullness of their identity as sons. And so there was too many to be just the famous ones. That's, that's what he was talking about. It's, there's always going to be some more known than others. But, but he said there, there's in a meeting and they're worshiping and, and they're, like there's miracles happening. He said, oh, we have another resurrection here. We have another healing here. More blind eyes are open here. And, and I remember I used to say, oh, that's going to be so great when that happens. But I was thinking about this this week while we were in, in, in North Battleford. It's like, you know, when a mother hen is sitting on a, a nest of eggs, right? And they're, some are closer to hatching than others. But you know how they just kind of... And then... They don't do it all. It doesn't all happen at the same time. But I saw these stadiums as, as these nesting places where the presence of God was, you know, cocooning them in this atmosphere. And that, and that there are people who were victims of circumstances and sickness and, and all kinds of things were just suddenly realizing, hey, I can be healed. And boom, they were healed. I can be healed. Healing is mine. The God has done this. Suddenly, this is what Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, be it to you according to your faith. 
Yeah, there's the moments when the providence of God comes down upon those who are complete victims in order to demonstrate something. But sonship is about you just come realizing, this is mine. This is mine. This is mine. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. There was a 94-year-old man at this event. 94 years old. He was there. He was spry. He was like, you know, I mean, he was, he was sharp and everything. And he got up on the stage, and he was there at the original uh, outpouring 70 years ago. He got saved there. He got touched by the Spirit there. And I've seen a bunch of these guys in the last 20 years, and they all have the same characteristics. You know what they have? Zeal. I mean, it's amazing. They all are painted with the same brush of this fervor for the king. It's amazing. But anyway, he, he gets up, and he's, and he's sharing about this. Now, one of the tenets that came out of there was, was this realization that creation was waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, creation is looking, where are the people who have crossed over into that mindset? I am a son of God. I am synonymous with God. I'm, I'm not looking for a revival. I am a revival. Like, the creation is waiting for those people. This is what he said. He summarized the whole thing, the whole thing with these words. He said, what we realized, get this, this is so profound. What we realized, 94 years old, what we realized is that it's not them and then, it's us and now. Let that sink into your hearts. This was the takeaway of the North Battleford Revival. An awareness that I don't have to wait. I'm not a victim. I'm not, it's not a lining of circumstances that are beyond me. It's not them and then. It's us and now. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Oh. This, I thought... I thought that is, that is absolutely fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. I haven't fully come into that in all areas. In some I have. But do you remember the poster we had here? Yes. How many years did we have that poster up? Ten years? Ten years? It was people entering into something. And the question, it was a question. Because I felt in my spirit there was a question mark on that poster. And we took it down because we felt we were coming into a new season. Because it was a question then, but I believe we're coming into the reality of that. The question was, is this the place? Are these the people? And it basically, God is saying, you decide. You decide based on what you believe. Can you come into that thought that it's not then and them, it's us and now? It is now. It is now. It's going to be now. Now, you can't decide beyond your life. You decide for your life. And the effect of that spills out like a river that runs, that trickles down to the grass and merges with somebody else's trickle. And then it merges with somebody else's trickle and it becomes a mighty river of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God coming to the earth is not this magical thing. It is awakening that happens on individuals that realize at any moment I can release life and that life will start to change the environment around me. Does that make sense? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. These passages in Romans, God, that that, that articulate this beautiful truth that as many as are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And the creation, 
is longing and yearning for the manifestation of the sons of God. We say, God, we say, God, we say, God, we say, God, we are in your cocoon. We are coming together under the warmth of your love. But Lord, we want to hatch. We want to come out of our shells. We want to come out of everything. We want to come out as shining sons of God. And if, that, if that's three or four or five stages, Lord, we, we say we are not stopping. We are not stopping. We are entering. We are pressing forward, pressing forward, pressing forward, pressing forward. We say we want it. We say we want it. We say we want it. All God is looking for is a desire. I want this. God, I want this. God, I want this. That's all you have to say. Just say, God, I want this. Lord, we want this. You know, I, I'm not looking, you know, pause for a second. You know, you look around the room and say, well, do we have to stand up? You know, do we have to shout? You don't have to do anything, but start releasing your heart on whatever level you can release it. Don't be passive. Don't be passive. Just say, God, I do want this. Some can shout, I want it, right? There were ones that when Jesus around that passed through, some waited passively, some charged through, some tore the roofs open, some touched the hem of his garment, right? Those ones were the loud ones. And they, they forged a path. They showed you, well, who do you think you are pressing in front of me? No, I want this. I know it's for everyone. If I just touch him, if I just touch him. If I just touch him, I'm not waiting for him to touch me. If I touch him, I'm going to get this. Father, we want to touch you. Jesus, we want to touch you. We are the sons of God. And we want to come into the fullness of what it means to mature, mature believers. So that when the world sees us, they see the love of the Father. They see the love of and the power and the presence, manifestation of the glory of God in our worship, in our service, in our affection for one another, in signs and wonders and miracles, in evangelism. Lord, we want to be that one. We want to be them. 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 Listen, it's for you. It's for each and every one of us. He, Jesus said, to him who has ears to hear, quit disqualifying yourself. It's for you. It's for you. It's all for you. Thank you, Lord.